Let's, if you would, let's turn to John 17. I want to share a few thoughts. We only have about 30 minutes together, and I just wanted to focus on one, one or two main things. Chapter 17 of the book of John. This is Jesus praying in John 17. This is kind of like the end of the movie right here. What, what the Lord is praying right here is like the end of the movie. And then I want to just, I want to look at this briefly and then let's go back and see how this is possible. This is so cool right here because right after he prays this prayer, then John begins right in chapter 18 of when Jesus is betrayed and he goes to the cross. So these are almost like his final words that are deep words, deep words of his heart for you and me. So cool. Let's take a look at this. John 17, verse 22. Let's start verse 22, the last part of his prayer. The glory which you have given me, this is the son praying to the father. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. The glory I believe he's referring to there is what John says in the very beginning of, the, of this same gospel. He says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. See, we were not sons. And now we have become sons. He has given you and I the glory of sonship. God's heart was to bring many sons into glory, to adopt many sons and daughters. And he was the only one. And so the glory he had with the Father as the only begotten he's given to us willingly that we might be co-heirs, sons, no longer servants or slaves, but sons. That they may be one just as we are one. Now he defines his own terms right here when he says one, verse 23, I in them and you in me, Father, that they may be perfect in union, in this union, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Many commentaries will say here that, see, it's very important that the church remain in unity and be one as a body. That's not what he's praying. This is so cool. He's, he's actually telling us what he's talking about in that verse. He's actually saying, Father, I pray that they would be one with me as I am with you. And then he goes further and explains it. I in you, Father, you in me. I in them, they in me. He's not talking about a union this way. He's talking about a union this way. Because the union, once it is done this way, happens this way. He's not, in, he's not anticipating in this prayer church division and all this stuff. And you hear sometimes the power of this verse lost when men say, this is talking about church unity. 
among the people. Not so. This is talking about a union that he has purchased for you and me directly, us in him, he in us, he in the Father, the Father in him. That's awesome. That's why it says he is our head, we are his body. That's union. That's why he says he is the true vine, we are the branches. That's union. So the powerful statement here is just, it's just, it's mind-blowing. I mean, sinful man brought into union with holy God only because of what he did. Okay, let's read on. This is so awesome. And, and look at this. This is so cool. And he says in verse, the end of verse 23, and that they may know that, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. It's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for me to believe that. It's, it's the kind of thing you need to be, just sink in, that he loves me, he loves you as much, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus himself. That's awesome. This is, that's why this prayer is so rich. This is, this is the pinnacle of the new covenant. This is what the new covenant brings us to. Union with him so that as he is, so are we. At complete rest because as he is, so are we. As, as he is righteous, we are righteous. Christ has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption through union with him. And not just that, but it's this love. The Father's love for me is as great as the Father's love for Jesus himself. I mean, that's why it's called the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. It's good news. I mean, it is so good news. It, it turned the cities upside down. It turns religion on its head. Because religion is all about sin management and trying to please an angry God and trying to perform so God will like me. That's religion. Jesus came and just burst that thing wide open and opened up what the prophet said would come that men found hard to believe. As Paul said, quoting Habakkuk, he says to his Jewish brothers, take heed that this doesn't happen to you, that you marvel, you scoff, and you perish because God's gonna do a work so awesome that though a man describe it to you, you won't believe it. Acts chapter 13. It's awesome what God has done. And no flesh can glory in his presence with his work. In fact, you boast in the grace of God more than ever. Some people are afraid to boast in the grace of God because I think they're afraid that people are going to think they have a sin problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, why is he always boasting in the grace of God? He must be, you know, major sin. I mean, all he talks about, grace, grace, grace. He must be, you know. And the truth is, we do have a major sin problem. We all do. It's, the, it's called the flesh. And thank God that in this new covenant, God has brought us through judgment already through the cross and has raised us up a new creation by his resurrection. And though the body is still here and the power of sin still works in our members, the real you is perfect. And the real you, as we walk in the Spirit, 
simply fulfills and walks out who you really are in him. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we simply should walk in them and just be who we are. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we all have a sin problem. It's called the flesh. And the more we boast in the grace of God, the more we see the new creation. I love that scene in, uh, in um, Mel Gibson's movie about, uh, what's it called? The Jesus... Oh, the passion, sorry. <laughs> sorry. The passion. The passion. I love that scene where Jesus is carrying the cross. And uh, remember that scene where Mary runs to him out that, that corridor, you know, and he, she holds him. And he uh, has a little strength in his legs to hope, pick up the cross in that scene. And he says to his mother, he says, look, mother. I make all things new. I love that. He didn't fail. In the midst of the death, he was looking to what was coming. I make all things new. I make all things new. Behold, if any man be in Christ Jesus... He is a new creation. In the Greek, it actually says a new species, a new creature that never existed before, a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. God has made us a place for him to dwell in. He has made us the dwelling place of God, living stones of this living temple by the Spirit. You realize that God couldn't even inhabit us even if he cleaned us up. If he cleaned us up, we, we, he could inhabit us because God could not join himself to anything with an evil past. He couldn't be a part of anything that had a past. You had to be, I had to be totally made new. The old had to die and a whole new creation had to be raised. And that's what he did when he joined us to himself. Then he says here, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here, I believe, saints, he's praying that we would be seated with him in heavenly places. This is before the cross, before the resurrection. He's praying all of this, all of this has already been, already been accomplished in you and I, if we have believed. We are already one with him. We are already loved by the Father as he loves Jesus himself. We are already where he is, seated with him in heavenly places so that we can see his glory. For we're transformed into the same image as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Beholding him in our inner man. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with, love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He says it again, that the same love whereby you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here he's saying, Lord, I've revealed your name. I've revealed who you are. That, you may, that they may know the same love you've loved me with, 
you've loved them with and that that love may be in them and I in them. Union. This is like the end of the movie, so to speak. This is the pinnacle. But the way we got there, just briefly, when Jesus came, I think sometimes we read the Gospels, and in the reading of the Gospels, there can be some confusion because we'll see things Jesus will say, and we think, that doesn't sound like the gift of righteousness there. That sounds like, I better get my act together, I'm gonna miss heaven. And so it's really important, I think, to understand that when Messiah came, he was to do, I think you can summarize it in three things that he was called to do by the Father. First and foremost, he came to reveal who the Father was. The scripture says, no man has seen God at any time, but the Son who has come from the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. To see Jesus is to see the Father. That's the most important thing I think he did was to reveal the Father, who God really is, who the Father really is. In all of his teachings and his parables, he taught us who the Father was. The second thing he did was he brought to an end the old covenant of law. The scripture says when Messiah comes, he would magnify the law. He would bring the real meaning of the law at at, at bare, so to speak. He would bring the real meaning of the law to the people so that they would come to the end of themselves in their attempt to be righteous. That's why he would say things like, the Pharisees thought they were righteous in themselves and they thought that, you know, I'm, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't committed murder, and, and Jesus would say, if you've been angry with anybody, then you've committed murder. It's just like murder. If you've lusted with, for anything, for, if you've lusted for a woman, you've committed adultery. Just lust? Yes, that's the same as the act itself because it's all about the heart with God. It's about the heart. It's not about the act. So what does that do? Well, if you're, if you're a Pharisee, you grit your teeth and you try not to lust. Uh, you cover your eyes or you try to do things not to do sin. But the work that Jesus was trying to accomplish was to bring them to the end of themselves so they would say, who can be saved? See, he would, he would bring the law to its fullness, he himself without sin, so he could be our substitute, but he had to bring man to the end of himself. For instance, we've had people um, preach that uh, when Jesus told the Pharisees, every idle word you speak, you shall give an account of in the day of judgment. That's not for the believer. He's talking to the Pharisees in the context. They're calling them snakes and vipers. They thought they were righteous in themselves. And he, he cut through their self-righteousness and said, every idle word you say you'll give an account of. You think you've got all the bases covered? If you've ever been angry, if you've ever lusted, every idle word, it's, it's perfection. The only people that can enter heaven are perfect people. That's the truth. You must be perfect. I must be perfect. The scripture says the law made nothing perfect, but bringing in another hope did. So that's what he was trying to do. So sometimes we'll hear um, teaching or we'll read the gospels ourselves and we'll be confused in reading what Jesus said, but, but realize one of his main missions is to bring the law in all of its force forth so men would say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Not like the Pharisee who said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that man over there. I tithe all my goods and I do this and I do that. But the other man wouldn't even look up and stood afar off from the temple and beat his chest and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that man shall go home justified and not this one. He would say things like this. The Pharisees were known as holy and righteous people and he would say, unless, you're, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these righteous people, these holy people, you will in no wise enter heaven. But I'll tell you the truth, this prostitute over here, she will enter heaven before them. What? Because she will come to the end of herself sooner than the self-righteous one. So anyway, the first thing that Jesus did was to bring the old covenant to an end, to magnify the law so that in this white, hot, glorious righteousness that was shining from him, men would come to the end of themselves and say, have mercy on me, Lord. And the second thing he would do Actually, the third thing, first thing, revealing the Father, second thing, bringing the old covenant of law to an end. The third thing he would do is then he would turn to his disciples and talk to them about, about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He would bring to the, to the end the old covenant of law and hopefully bring people to despair in trying to earn their own righteousness. And then he would turn to his own disciples and say, but let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a story. There was a man who had a vineyard and uh, he hired some workers to go work in his vineyard. And they agreed to a price to work in this vineyard and they all agreed it was a very fair price. And they worked all day in the vineyard and then toward the end of the day, there was about an hour left in the day and the owner went to the town and said, I'm, I'm gonna hire another worker. So he got another worker to bring him out there to the vineyard and he worked about an hour and all these guys were working and at the end of the day, they came in for their checks and the owner paid the workers that worked all day that, what they agreed on. It was a, a very fair price. They, they thought it was a very generous price. You know, they, they agreed to it, no problems. So they, he paid. And then they, they got to this guy that worked only an hour, and they were all like looking to see what he's going to do with this guy. And he got the same amount that they got all day, one hour, same amount. And they got angry at the owner, and they said, you know, this is not fair. I mean, we worked all day, and you're going to pay him the same thing that we got paid. And then the owner said, I did you no wrong. Did we not agree of the price? And didn't you think it was a fair price? And you, well, yeah, right. But he goes, and why do you think, why do you see me as doing something evil with that which I own? And if I want to be generous with what is mine, why do you see, see that as something that's wrong? Awesome. He was introducing the whole concept of grace and these stories of the mysteries of the kingdom, the way of God. None of us is, is even more, right, is more righteous than the other because we all have his righteousness. Isn't that cool? You talk about unity in the church this way, when we are really just reminded that we are, each one of us is just as righteous as the next one and that we each have Christ within us as believers, what a unity that brings in the body. We're not comparing ourselves one with another. It takes away all competition. It takes away inferiority. It's like there's a release of just being and loving and encouraging each other to see the truth and believe who you are. Isn't that cool? It's genius. It's God's genius. Religion doesn't like it because it takes control out of the hands of men. The Pharisees love to control People. Religion loves to control people, but God's gospel releases us to him. And it creates a humility in all of us so that we submit ourselves one to another in a humility of love and kindness that's awesome. 
It's, it's just, it's genius. It's God's wisdom. That's why it says the cross is the wisdom of God. And Christ is the wisdom and power of God because religion doesn't get it, but God gets it. And when we get it, we see it too. It's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. What a freedom, what a liberty. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has set us free and let that love flow out of us to each other. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to us. And he said that in the context of um, people worrying about what they're gonna eat or drink or wear and that kind of thing. And saints, I just know that, well, first let me say this, that, that, that exhortation to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness is really not for the believer. That's for the unbeliever. Because remember, he is standing in the midst of the old covenant, bringing it to an end. He was born of a woman, born under the law. The new covenant didn't even begin until after the moment he died and the veil of the temple was rent. So we don't seek, and the key word is seek, we don't seek as a believer the kingdom of heaven or his righteousness anymore because you have it. That's a word to the unbeliever. You tell the unbeliever who's worried about life and worried about making a living and worried about all the things that Gentiles worry over and the world's worried about, you tell the unbeliever, you know, bro, if you just seek first his, his kingdom and his righteousness, you would enter into a whole new relationship with God and a new reality that all these things you are worried about will be added to you. For the believer, it's an it's a acknowledgement that we have the kingdom within for the kingdom of heaven is within, the scripture says, by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. We have the realm of God within. We have his righteousness now. He's not working, working on us so that we will have his righteousness one day. We have his righteousness now. For he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness reigns in this life by one Christ Jesus. You see it? So we have the kingdom and we have the righteousness of Christ. We rest in that reality, but we tell others, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Get off the religious treadmill and receive the gift of righteousness and watch what God will do in your life. And he will add all these things. Now it's good to be reminded, obviously, that we have the kingdom and that we have his righteousness, but it is a done deal. We're not always seeking, seeking, seeking. Do you realize there's not a single verse in the New Testament that says, seek the Lord? Not a single one. Old Testament, full of it. Seek the Lord, 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 seek the Lord. And then there's a prophecy that went forth in the Old Testament that says, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. That's part of our problem in the church, I believe. We're still thinking like Old Testament believers, Old Testament people seeking him when he has suddenly come to his temple. No, you not, you are the temple of the Christ. Why seek for that which you have? See, and that's why not a single apostle writes in any one of his letters, seek the Lord. Rather, he says, they say things like, seek those things that are above. Seek the reality you have now in him. Know you not, you have him. Look to him who is within you. Greater is he who is now inside of you than he who is in the world. Look at these things, behold these things, receive these realities, for it is done, it is done, it is done, it is done. Yes. Woo! <laughs> 
And that's his prayer. I in them and they in me and I in you, Father, and I in the Father in me. That has been accomplished by his work. He has done it. Some, some people have even said that in reading the Gospels, they sometimes say, you know, sometimes what Jesus says doesn't really sound like what Paul says. So is Jesus preaching a different gospel than what Paul preached? And I've heard people sometimes say that, well, Jesus said this, so I'm going to go with what Jesus said. I'm not going to go with what Paul said. <laughs> and forgetting that it's Jesus who commissioned Paul <laughs> to explain his gospel. They're preaching the same gospel, obviously. Jesus commissioned Paul to explain his gospel. So when Jesus says things like, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter heaven. He's not saying something different from what Paul is saying when Paul writes in Romans, for the law was given that every mouth might be shut, that the whole world might be accountable to God so that they might receive a, receive a righteousness by faith apart from the law. Same truth. So we can read, we can see what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. We can read what Paul is saying as the Lord himself explained his Gospel through Paul. And saints, I believe one of the most important things And I'll close here. One of the most important things, I think, for the saints to really um, feed on is this, what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As believers, we have his righteousness. Always remember, saints, This is what I do, I remind myself of this awesome reality. Number one, since I'm not under law, for he has moved me from the jurisdiction of the law through the death and resurrection of Christ, since I'm not of this world anymore in him and not under law, then therefore sin is not imputed. Sin is not imputed. What is imputed by resurrection through the new creation, and even imparted, is the righteousness of God. Now, if we lived every day knowing that God has given me his own righteousness, as I learn to live by him within, because we all stumble in many ways, James says, we all stumble in many ways as we are learning to live by another within. Jesus said, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. Be yoked up to what I'm yoked up. I'm yoked up to the Father. The Father in me does the works, and he speaks the words. Learn of me. Learn how I live by the Father, and you too shall live by me. Walk in me, and I'll walk in you. And we'll make many mistakes, and we'll stumble in many ways. But the the key is knowing that your righteousness never changes because it's a gift. And so in that rest, we can be working things out and living this this life and learning how to live by him and the fruit that begins to come forth will be amazed because we'll be at rest.
I think a good definition of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is it's another, it's like another reality. It's like the scripture says we were were translated from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. So it's it's another reality in him where the will of God is always done where the will of the king is always done. That's why he says, pray, he pray that your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is the number one will of the Father that we need to rest in every day? The will of the Father, this place that we are now in him, is that he has given us his own Righteousness. What, we sang a song this morning about everything bows in his presence. All things are new in his presence. That's so real. That presence is with you always. Not just when we gather, of course, but when we walk out these doors, the presence with you always. And we sang all things bow before him. Well, the number one thing, remember, that bows before him is the accuser. Is accusations about your sin and my sin. There is no condemnation in his kingdom. Clark, I love the way, the way Clark emphasizes there's no condemnation in this reality. There can't be. For he took the judgment for all our sin, for all people, for all time, and brought us to this place. It's the promised land that was prophesied. A land filled with milk and honey that Israel didn't enter into because the gospel was preached to them, but they did not believe it. The promised land was just a picture of the real land, which is in Christ. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land, God says, I'll bring you to a land where you don't have to build the houses. They're already built. You don't have to water the vineyard. They're already watered. It's a place of rest because I've done it all. You can't be any more righteous than you are right now. You cannot, if you live a hundred years, you will not be any more righteous than you are right now. Start enjoying it. You and I will not be loved any more than we're loved right now. Enjoy it. Enter the rest. For the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, his righteousness, peace, his peace. I leave my peace with you, Jesus said. Joy, his joy, I leave my joy with you, Jesus said. Isn't he awesome? We preach him, we preach him. We preach him. I pray that 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 prayer he prayed in John 17 would become so real to us more and more. I just love to hear the gentleness in his voice. Father, the glory that you've given me, I, I give to them that they might be the sons and daughters of God. And Father, I pray that they might be where I am, always be where I am. They might see my glory. And Father, I pray that they would know that you love them like you love me and, and that I would be in them. and They would be in me. And awesome. That's the new covenant. That's his heart. That's his heart. All things will be added to us. 
I know everybody's suffering. There's always, there's something, you know, struggles in this economy, financial struggles, marriage struggles, relationship struggles, business struggles. All these things the Father knows we have need of, He will add them to us. We pray for wisdom. We pray for direction. We have things in our mind about what to do. He will add it. But it's an addition. It's not the heart of the focus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I have not seen the righteous begging bread or the righteous forsaken. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're not already in the kingdom, go for it. Believe that it's true and enter in. And if you and I are already there, rest in a righteousness which is not your own. You have an open heaven. We have an open heaven. We think, wow, the Father always answers Jesus' prayers. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. First John, you have an open heaven. That's why he was so excited. Ask, ask the Father. At the end of his life, before he left the earth, he, he said, ask that your joy might be full. Ask him. Ask him in faith, realizing what I've done. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it shall be open. Wow, what a God, what a gospel. What a new covenant. Lord, so good. Can we stand? Let me pray for you. And Lord, we just thank you that you brought us to another place. place inside of you and you inside of us. As we speak this truth one to another, we're built up in you and body grows and is nourished. We come to the fullness of the stature of Christ by just speaking this truth to each other, reminding each other that we are righteous because of him. Reminding each other that he loves us, that he's with us. What a strange dynamic. What a strange way. For your ways are not our ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways different from our ways. Our ways come from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
thoughts of shame, guilt, and hiding from God. The true way comes from the tree of life, the place of grace, peace. Heaven's way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.